confessions of an obese child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. And welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Listen up. It has been uh, quite some time since I've done a confession. Probably two weeks or so. So it's good to come back and confess and to speak my mind and, and purge my feelings, but not my food. Not my food. Uh, before we begin the, the episode on the mistress of food little melodramatic in the title. The Mistress of Food, I just wanted to go over a couple of things. One, I am a certified health coach. I'm also a high school teacher. I teach the medical and nutrition classes at a high school here in San Antonio. But going back to being a health coach, if any of you are in the need of some guidance to lose some weight, please contact me. I can help you. I have lost a lot of weight and I've kept it off for 25 years. And speaking of 25 years, This is the 25th episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. We're at the silver anniversary. The silver anniversary. And my plan after this episode, which kind of gets us to my adulthood, is to begin interviewing people that were overweight as a child. That is my plan. So if you did not listen to episode 24, episode 24 dealt with my college experience. Uh, the things that I did to cope with the immediate weight loss. And much of what I talked about in Confession 24, which was the college dysfunction, was essentially how I had disordered eating, how I would essentially starve myself during the week, Monday through Friday, exercise every day, chronic cardio, and then weigh myself Friday. And then I would essentially binge eat uh, Friday night through Sunday evening and then rinse, lather, repeat, as they say. And I would do that for, oh, oh, I don't know, all four years. And during that time, I did date some people and nothing very serious. And I I don't know, I I didn't really have a girlfriend in college. And I don't know if it's because I was dealing with all my gray zone issues. You know, you could only touch certain parts of my body. You couldn't touch the bloopy. I was very self-conscious about the bloopy, especially when I was leaning over or if I was doing like a push-up position or like missionary style because the bloopy would swing back and forth and it would extend something like seven inches from my torso. So I was very self-conscious about that. But near the end of it, I did start dating my ex-wife. And I mentioned to my ex-wife at the time when we when I was a senior about my eating issues. And at the time, she didn't see it as a big deal. Well, I think if you were to ask her now, she probably would say that was one of the reasons why we inevitably divorced. And this podcast is not going to really talk about the divorce, which happened several years later. But we are going to deal with her because later on, I left San Antonio. I went to school here in San Antonio. And I went to Alaska, the University of Alaska. And I mentioned this in confession number three, The Invisible Student, which deals with my panic attacks that I had in Austin and in Alaska. And I think I also mentioned in The Cancer Doctor, which is 16. So when I left high school, or when I'm sorry, when I left college, I graduated with the very useful practical degree of international relations. At the time, I, I, I strove to go into the foreign service. And if you listen to The Cancer Doctor, my father really wanted me to be a doctor. But I was like, Dad, I want to follow geography. I love geography. And he's like, Albert, there's no future in geography. It is a useless degree. I'm like, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course, he was right. I should have gone into medicine, but I didn't. And 
I changed my major when I went to university here in San Antonio. And at that time, my dad should have said, I am not going to pay for your college. And, and then I would have changed back to medicine, but I didn't. So I did international relations, which was kind of a joke degrees, mostly history and geography, things that I was good at. Anyway, so after I graduated, I was having panic attacks at the end of the last two years of my college life over at St. Mary's. And I thought, well, one way to remedy these panic attacks is to go to the coldest place possible. So I applied to a bunch of graduate schools in um, the north. So in Vermont, North Dakota, and Alaska. And I partly did it because due to affirmative action, I thought I might be able to get some nice benefits. And I did get accepted to a couple of those universities, but I chose Alaska. And I think part of it is Alaska, jokingly, its motto is the last frontier, but really it should be the escapist capital of the United States. Because if you spend any time there, and I'm not saying visiting in the summer on a cruise ship, but if you spend any time there, you'll notice that a lot of escapists live there. And what I mean by escapists, Alaskans are great. They're very uh, industrious, very hardy, very independent. They're very kind people. But it's like they're either escaping the law or they're escaping a bad marriage or they're escaping the, some sort of past. And they look at the map and they're like, I need to get away from wherever I'm at. I need to go to the farthest place possible that speaks English. And so they see Alaska and they move to Alaska. And so that's what I did. I, I got a full ride and I was a teaching assistant there at the University of Alaska and I got my degree in circumpolar studies. Again, another useful degree, right? I'm like, what? you know, and like no comments. It's like, what the hell am I going to do with a degree in circumpolar studies, right? But at the time I thought I was going to stay at the North, in the North. So I moved there and the summer uh, before it began, uh, before I began, I was alone. I got an apartment and my eating just ratcheted up and I began to eat a lot. Now the this cycle of starving and during the week and, and binging in the weekend kind of morphed because when I when I was up there, I didn't have anybody really to monitor it. And I was all alone and I was scared to make friends with the people that were gonna be in my cohort. So what I ended up doing was just eating a lot. I would go to different fast food places and just eat eat, eat, eat. And at this time I wasn't fasting. So I was eating breakfast too. And I would just go to Burger King, get three big Kings. I would go to Safeway and get dozens of cookies and ice cream. And I would just eat it in my apartment and it got really bad. So I gained a lot of weight. You know, I look at the pictures of myself during that time in college, at least that first, uh, that first year in 1997 to date myself way back in the nineties, Backstreet Boys were really big back then. And the Spice Girls, and I gained a lot of weight because I still was kind of working out, but it wasn't enough to offset the 5,000 calories that I was eating. And during that summer when I was there alone, I went to Overeaters Anonymous and I didn't have any experience with any of the AA, alcoholic, uh, sex, uh, sex uh, anonymous, all the anonymous groups. But I went to OA a couple of times during that summer because I realized I needed help. And I was journaling and di diarying at the time, not diarying, the diary, di writing in a diary. And I knew I needed help. This was getting out of control. I noticed I was gaining weight and I was about to, I think a lot of it was, I was just nervous about starting this program and being a teaching assistant and having to lecture in front of undergraduates. And I was nervous about meeting new people and it's very akin to like now because a lot of kids are starting school again and they're all nervous about the first day of school. And this is something I forgot to mention back when I was talking about elementary schools. I hated the first day of school. Well, you know, honestly, I hated every day of school, but the first day of school, I loathed it because at least in the summer, I could get away from the bullies. But when school started up again, it resumed. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be spared of that. 
But I think a lot of my eating in that summer stemmed from that, just the loneliness. And then, you know, what do you do when you're alone, when you're a binge eater? Binge eat, right? There's nobody holding you accountable and you're depressed and you're lonely. Anyway, so I went to OA and I just remember, it's like, I, I guess I should have like read up. Oh, I'm drinking some lavender. Anyways, I should have read up on it because what I would do is I'd go in there and apparently you weren't supposed to like talk about food per se. I think you were supposed to talk about emotions, but I'd go in there and be like, man, like today, oh God, I wanted to get a blizzard. And I think they had TCBY, so the equivalent were shivers. I wanted to get like three shivers and I was just daydreaming all day of getting a cookies and cream and a cookie dough. And apparently I read later on that you weren't supposed to even bring up food because I guess it would trigger people's desires to go and binge eat. I had no idea. So I went about two or three times, and then I just stopped going. I stopped going. In the meanwhile, uh, my ex-wife was going to law school, and then she decided to leave law school. She was going to law school back in the the outside, as Alaskans call it, the lower 48. So I invited her to come up to Alaska and stay up here until she figured out what she wanted to do. So she did come up that fall. And I think with her arrival, that did moderate my eating because I had somebody uh, to cook for me and I guess hold me accountable. So I was able to lose weight pretty fast in that fall. And the thing about my weight, and, and later on, about 10 years later, I gained weight again. I wouldn't say I gained all my weight back, but when, probably about 30 pounds when my father died. And the thing with my, my weight is because I, I I lost my weight after 18, around 18, is that you don't lose those adipose or fat tissues. They shrink. And so if you lose your weight before 18, you actually purge those fat cells. But when you lose it 18 or older, they just shrink or enlarge. And so with people who, who lose their weight... Uh, after 18, you tend to, you can lose it relatively fast, but the, the cells just shrink. And so what happens is you can gain weight very fast. So I can gain weight very fast. And now that I'm 43, I can gain weight really fast despite the biohacking. But at the time she came and uh, my weight did drop. I, and then I, I started the school year and I was a pretty effective TA and I wasn't having panic attacks, which was surprising me. And I think the first year was just the, kind of the thrill of living in Alaska. Because anytime you move to a new place, you really love that first year because you, all the seasons are new. So like, what's it like in fall in North Carolina? You know, what's it like in spring in North Dakota that first year? And so it was kind of like a honeymoon period. We got to be together. And I think that really helped uh, with my eating. But eventually, she decided to stay and get her master's in psychology. And eventually, uh, she stayed up there the two years that I was there. And we had separate apartments, but they were contiguous or adjacent to one another. But my maladaptive eating continued, even though it kind of leveled off and I did lose weight. And what happened was pretty much my cycle of eating was secret eating, secret eating. So she knew that I I had a binge eating problem because she knew about it. I told her when we lived in San Antonio, but she had never lived near me or lived with me. So I guess she didn't see it up front and personal. So what I would do is the typical day for the, the two to three years I lived in Alaska working on my graduate degree and writing my master's thesis on Spanish exploration of the 18, of Alaska in the 18th century and its influence on Alaska place names, 
was that I would eat breakfast and I was eating a fiber one. Okay. So at this, at this point, it wasn't like fat is, fat is still bad for you. This is 90. So we're still in that paradigm, but I knew that it was important to eat fiber. So one of the biohacks I used to do at that time was eat an inordinate amount of fiber. So I would eat fiber one cereal with skim milk, of course, in the morning. And then at lunch, I would eat a can of beans. I literally would just... And now part of this, guys, was that I was never a good cook, and I'm not a good cook now. I don't know how to cook. I, I, like I mentioned in, in the MPE episodes, I, I, my, my cooking is very limited. So I would just bring a can of, can of beans, and they were ranch beans or black beans or even kidney beans, and I would just microwave them up in plastic. Yes, I know. And just eat them straight. And I was like, well, this has got, you know, I'm getting 15, 10 to 15 grams of fiber in that cereal in the morning. And now I'm going to get 25 grams of fiber. And and see the belief back then, or at least what I'd heard of in some conspiracy radio or who knows where I heard it was that fiber, the insoluble fiber clings to fat. And so if you eat a lot of fiber, you would suck up the fat that you were eating at the same time. And so the fat would not be absorbed by the body. It'd be flushed out with the fiber. And so I thought, okay, well, all the cheeseburgers that I'm eating and all that, well, I'll just eat a can of beans afterwards and it'll get it out. So I don't know if it was working, but at the time I didn't know all the issues that you have with legumes and how they have tons of anti-nutrients and you have to deal with pectin and like and phytic acid and all, all the uh, hypoallergenic problems, you know, allergies they can have with legumes. They do, it is a good plant-based source of protein. And fiber, and it is very nutrient dense, but everybody's a little different. So, a, a classic paleo person would not eat legumes, would not eat beans. A primal person would, and you know, most Americans will eat them. I do love peas, which come from that family, anecdotally. But so I would eat, I would eat that, and then what I would do is I would go run at the gym. They had an indoor gym because this is Alaska, and I would run my five miles. And then after that, I would drive home and what I would do, and this is the standard guys that I would do for the next 15 to 20 years. On the way home, I would stop at McDonald's and yes, I lived in Fairbanks, but yes, there was fast food. It's not like we're living in igloos and there's Eskimos with their walruses everywhere. I mean, Fairbanks, is, and it's been 15 years since I've moved out, but back then they had supermarkets and movie theaters and fast food, tons of fast food. So I'd stop and I'd get tons of food or I'd go to Safeway, get tons of food and just eat it in the car and just binge eat in the car. And then of course I would be listening to radio, AM radio. And then I would get back to the apartment and... What it would happen is, and, and again, this is something that you're going to see for the next 15 years, was that I would lie, right? So I'd get there and the ex-wife would be like, hey, how was your day? It's like, great. And my stomach is killing me because I ate an inordinate amount of food, but I wanted to lie to her because I didn't, A, want her to be mad at me or I didn't want to deal with the shame of it. Or I just want to eat dinner. You know, it's no different than when I was a child, guys. If you listen to the earlier confessions where I would eat the big after-school dinner number one, where I would eat all those frozen entrees that I talked about in the convenience store and in the, the, the locker room and the bra and all those early episodes, and then I would eat the regular dinner, I'd come home and, and I would have to eat because if I didn't eat, then she would know that I was binge eating. So I would lie to her all the time. Lie, lie, lie. That's why I call this episode the mistress of food because food was my mistress. I cheated on my ex-wife, who at the time wasn't my wife. She was my girlfriend. 
uh, with food. Food was my mistress. And, and, and the binge eating, the dysfunctional eating destroys relationships. And any of you who have this issue would, would relate. Now, I did release an MPE episode recently on alcoholism. And alcoholism probably, I would argue, is more pernicious and destructive than, than binge eating. And this is one of the arguments that you have with people who don't think uh, binge eating is an issue or you can just stop eating, you know. And I tell them, it's like, well, you know what? If when you're addicted to alcohol or if you're addicted to shopping, theoretically, you don't need those things to function, but you need to eat to function. You need to eat. So unless you're in some rehabilitation, some clinic somewhere like that, uh, that show on Netflix, uh, God, the one with uh, Phil Collins is... Uh, Lily Collins, the one with her, his daughter in it, where, you know, you can be locked up in a place and then they have to regulate your eating. But if not, you have to eat. You have to eat. So that's what I would do. I'd lie all the time and then I would walk. That's when I started doing my night walks because I had to walk to be able to sleep, to walk off those calories. Also, I felt like I have to walk to walk off and burn off those calories, even though I had just ran, I just worked out in the afternoon, I needed to walk before I went to sleep. And so it was like a rinse, lather, repeat for 15 years. Another Another thing I was doing in Alaska during this time was that I was drinking a humongous amount of water. So like during research time or between classes, I would go to the library and study. And what I would do is I'd get these big gulp size cartons or containers and I would just throw in a straw and I just read and drink water. And I would just be drinking seven or eight big gulps of water. And I would just be going constantly to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, my water's white. Because the other biohack, there are three biohacks I learned back in the 90s. One was, you know, eating a lot of fiber. Two was deep breathe biohacking. So the other one was if you took in deep breaths and held them for as long as you can, 10 times in a rep, that would speed up your metabolism. So I was doing that. But the other one was drinking a large amount of water would speed up your metabolism. Did I actually look up the PubMed studies at the time? No, because the internet really didn't exist in the 90s. But I didn't do any research. I was like, yeah, whatever it takes. So I was drinking tons of water. I mean, I didn't know about uh, hydro, what's it called, hyponatremia when you have too much or not enough sodium. I think it's hypo. Hyponatremia would be not enough sodium in your, not enough electrolytes. And so that can cause you to have a heart attack or cause your brain to explode because you have too much water, right? So that, that causes the electrolytes, which are responsible essentially for the electrical impulse in your body, along with like magnesium and potassium and all them to not have enough. And so it throws off your, your, your electricity, so to speak. And so I was, I didn't even know about that. I was just like, drink, drink, drink. And so if you look at the DSM or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders, I was a non-purging bulimic. So I didn't, I never throw, I never threw up. I was always using the other things. So excessive exercise, I was doing uh, excessive drinking of water, I never took diuretics. I never took uh, water pills or diuretics. I never took laxatives, anything like that. It was mostly just exercise and drinking a lot of water. And so I would do that. I was just, my water, my urine was literally just clear, clear as day. Clear as day. So eventually we left Alaska. We got we got engaged and we moved back to Texas. We moved back to Houston. It was the same thing. I I I worked at an immigration company for three years. We got married during that time. 
And then later on, we moved to Austin because we decided to get a PhD. I wanted to get my PhD in history, which I talked about in episode number three. That didn't work out well because I dropped out within a year because I was having so much bad panic attacks because I thought I was having imposter syndrome where I felt I didn't belong, partly because it was just all the insecurities that, that I had stemming from my obesity and all the bullying and ridicule I had. Eventually, I went to x-ray school in Austin while my ex-wife finished her doctorate in psychology over there. And then we eventually moved back to San Antonio because that's where she got her residency. And so then I worked at various x-ray clinics uh, for four or five years before I became a teacher in, in, in a district over in the south side of the town. But anyways, my point is, aside from just doing a really fast retake uh, review of the last 15 years of my life, was the eating stayed the same. The eating stayed the same. So I would eat a lot of fiber, calorie in, calorie out, working out, running. I never lifted. I was never lifter. That's why my ex-wife used to call me the cat in the hat because I was like bony, but I had a, a panza. I had a, a pouch, right? And it wasn't just the loose skin. I mean, I always had like this pouch around my abdomen because I never I never worked out. But it was the same thing. I mean, I, I was coming back. If, if it was from Austin, working at the trauma hospital there, I'd come home and go to Taco Cabana at 10 o'clock because I worked the evening shift, binge at 11 o'clock and then wake up the next morning before going to work and go run on the on the river over there in Austin. San Antonio was the same thing. I'd stop and get three McDoubles on the way home and get some ice cream and get some uh, blizzards because I'm a big blizzard junkie. And then same thing, just 15 years of that. And what it ended up happening is because my ex-wife was not stupid. She clearly could tell based on either I was gaining weight a little or just because I looked pale as crap because I was eating all this toxic food, or I wasn't eating, that uh, I was lying to her. So she'd be like, "Did you did you binge?" Eat? And at the beginning, you know, she was like compassionate about, it. "Did you binge?" Eat? You know, but but as with anything, you get compassion fatigue. And she started to become angry about it because I would just lie straight to her face, like, "No, I didn't binge." Eat. And she could tell I was lying. And so. Again, you don't want to be lying to your spouses, and I was lying to her, but I had to lie because I didn't really want to get help. And it was similar to when I was younger, when I used to talk about how I loved food more than I loved being skinny. And so I would tolerate being fat and being ridiculed so long as I couldn't give up my food. Well, despite the fact that I lost my weight, I still loved food too much. And as long as I was not morbidly overweight, because at this time I was still very fearful of gaining my weight back, I didn't want to give up my binge eating. I would still do it. I would still do calorie in, calorie out, and I didn't want to give it up. And I was just worried that she would implement some measures so I would stop binge eating. So let's take a quick break. We'll go to a commercial and we'll come right back. Hello. Are you feeling ill? Do you have some malaise? Are you having some anxiety? Are you having some problems? Well, come to Kate's Apothecary. Kate will help you. She will make her own very own essential oil blend to help you with whatever problem you're having. And she will instruct you on how to use it, to put it topically, to rub it on your feet, to smell it, to put it in your diffuser. She will help you out. So please contact Kate McCall, aromatherapist, at our website, or email her at katemccall at naturopathicearth.com. Also, as well, if you are interested in learning more about essential oils and how to use them, please listen to her podcast, Kate's Apothecary, which you can find on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. Cheerio. Take care. 
All right, welcome back. Who's that Nigel guy? <laughs> I, you know, I just like to do accents, and I, it's just really goofy stuff, guys. You know how I am. But uh, let's let's go back. So, what what I really want to finish off with is that if any of you are closet alcoholics, closet binge eaters, closet shopaholics, or whatever it is, whatever your vo- your vice is, I, I mentioned in the the alcohol episode, MP forty that. It seems like unless you have a very balanced upbringing, which I didn't have, um, you're going to use some sort of crutch in your life. And with me, it was food. You know, with other people, it's the aforementioned vices. And I do know people who had a very normal childhood, and so they eat normal, they drink alcohol normally. They have, they're very normal, right? But a lot of us are not like that. And so what I want to mention is that Food destroyed my relationship. It really did in retrospect. I mean, there were other issues involved, which I'm not going to mention, but in retrospect, it's difficult to be with a food addict. It, it is difficult. And I lament and I sympathize with people who have to live with food addicts or alcoholics or whatever. And I know a lot of people are going to say that food addiction is not the same thing as alcoholism. And I understand that. And that's maybe something we can bring up in an interview. But my point is, it is very taxing to be with somebody who has an addiction. And I think that all the lying that I did about food and eating, even though on one level it's trivial because it's just about eating it really causes a chasm because you're lying to your loved ones. And what does that lead to? More lying, maybe, to see a, a distrust. And so it's tough, guys. So what I, what I do want to mention here near the end is if you want to stop binge eating, and, and let, me, let me finish. I was doing that type of kind of calorie in, calorie out, working out eating crap and then secret eating. Because here's the reason. This is the reason why I was secret eating. When I lived in college by myself, and then that first summer where I was in Alaska, I wasn't accountable to anybody. So I could come home and lay out all my food. I literally remember like uh, probably in September of that, that summer before my ex showed up. Uh, after church, I would just go to Safeway and, and Burger King and just bring a bunch of food. And I remember laying it out on the table in front of me and just watching NFL football at the time, just putting, just looking at all this food and being giddy like a little six-year-old kid that had all this food, knowing full well in the back of my mind that I was going to be full of self-loathing, my tummy was going to hurt, and I'd be in total pain in 20 to 30 minutes after eating it. But at the time, I didn't care. I was just like, oh my God, this food looks so great. And I was like salivating. But what happened was when she moved in, I couldn't be an open eater, just like you couldn't be an open alcoholic. So you had to go into the closet. It reminds me of that South Park episode where, the, where Tom Cruise is in it and Tom Cruise is hiding in the closet for something. And they're like, Tom Cruise, you got to come out of the closet. You must come out of the closet. But now I had to go into the closet. So I couldn't eat that way. Because she was at home. Now, I do remember there were times where we were at school and I would literally drive home, stop at Safeway, and then just relax and binge eat for the two or three hours that I had during the day where she was still back at school. Then I would go back to school and be a TA and, of course, be just my stomach was horrible. I was nauseated and then I would go running, which was really hard at the time. But in most cases, I couldn't do that. So that's why I was binge eating in the car because in the car was the only place that I could do it in private. I had to go underground, so to speak. So I essentially did that modus operandi up until a few years ago. And I don't want to say that counseling did it. Now, I did go to counseling several times in college 
at UT for my PhD study. So this would be six years later after talking about Alaska and a couple other times. And, and the eating was brought up. But what happened was, I think I just, I don't know if it was with certain age or just with more introspection that I just stopped doing it. Now, do I have good eating habits? Totally. No, I don't. I would say that I'm definitely orthorexic on a lot of levels and that I like to eat the same foods every day. And I do occasionally eat out and I, I don't eat fast food too much, but I, I'm like I've mentioned in the, the NPE episodes, I'm not a pure paleo person. I will eat hamburgers at time or Indian food or Middle Eastern food. And so I, I do eat, but I'm not closet eating. I'm with a, a new person and I'm very upfront because I, I've learned from my mistakes. I've learned from my mistakes. And that's the thing. Anytime you're in a second relationship, either it's just you're dating because you're in your 20s or you're in a second marriage, you got to learn from your mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes that first time around. So now I have complete transparency when it comes to eating with this new person. But I just try to look and think, well, first of all, you don't want to have a lot of idle time because idle, high, idle time is the, the work of the devil, as I used to say. So I try to compact my day with a lot of activities. Now here in the summer, because I'm a teacher, I have a lot more free time, which I really don't like, even though that's so anathema to most teachers. But during the school year, you know, my time is so segmented. And then after, after school, I'll go and work out. And then by the time I get home, I'd really just have to get to that window of getting from the gym or getting from school back home. And if I can conquer that, I'm pretty good. Now there was a time where I would go for a walk because I like night walks. You get to listen to podcasts or music, especially when it's cold outside. Right now, I'm like sweating when I get packed. But there'd be a time where if I just had this hankering for food, I would literally walk to a Sonic at 11 o'clock and binge eat at the Sonic. And I remember guys just standing in front of the Sonic, just tapping my my feet, just wondering, should I go in? Should I get it? Should I get it? No, you know, this is bad. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then half the time, I'd walk back home and other times I wouldn't. I would get in. Of course, I would eat in. My stomach would hurt and I couldn't sleep. But I was even battling that. Luckily now, I don't have that problem. And I think a lot of it is you just got to avoid a lot of temptation. So I try to keep a lot of the toxins and the junk food that I like out of the house. The other thing is, luckily, when I go for night walks now, there's no fast food around. But that's not really a problem anymore. I don't do any of that night eating. So really, for me, the only temptation is to go from work or to the gym back home. And I'm just not tempted to do it anymore. And when I have a bad day, either at school or in a relationship or whatnot, I'm much more cognizant of what's going through my mind. And so I'm less likely to do it. So that's one of the tips I'm going to give you, because I am eventually going to Com- compile kind of a a guideline for how to lose weight via the way I did it. But one of the things that you have to do is you have to do deep work. You have to teach yourself how to eat, which hopefully you've been listening to these podcasts because I, I give you clean eating advice, especially the, the, the pantry episode and the fridge episode and eating out. But I also talk about the toxins because a lot of the toxins are obesogens like MSGs and plastics. They make you retain fat. But I am going to compile those into like a guideline, like a boom, boom, boom. So definitely you got to eat better. You got to get the the junk food out, the Franken foods. But again, you got to do the deep work. And what I mean by deep work is it's, and I'm not going to discount how easy it is to lose weight, but there are a lot of eating plans nowadays that you can do where you can drop weight really fast. And of course you can do bariatric surgery as well. 
But the thing is, that's a quick fix. And if you look at the studies, what is it? 95% of people who lose 50 pounds or more gain it back within three years. And why is that? Because they, it was a quick fix and they never did the deep work. If you don't do the deep work, when you stop your diet, whether it be the, the cookie diet or the juice diet or the 21 day fix, whatever, most of those diets are untenable or are unworkable for the rest of your life. That's why you have to adopt more of a lifestyle, like a ketogenic lifestyle or maybe a, a paleo lifestyle or, or one of those where you can still eat foods and nothing is foreboding, nothing is forbidden, something that you can ad- adopt for the rest of your life. But if you don't do the deep work, once you're off the diet, you're going to go back to those bad behaviors. And so, for example, like right before you go to the McDonald's or pick up those those Krispy Kreme donuts or whatever, you need to sit down and think when you're in the car, when you feel your fingers getting jittery and you're feeling that, that salivation to get the food, even though you know you're going to feel like crap and have all the self-loathing, you got to sit back and think, why am I doing this? What's the real reason? What other ways can I do so I can still get this, this desired feeling without binge eating. And if you notice it and you catch it, then you're less likely to do it. Now, there was a time when I, when I, we came back from San Antonio where I worked at Urgent Care that literally I, had to, I couldn't take credit cards and cash with me to work. Okay, this is how bad it was because I couldn't control it. So I'd leave my credit card and my cash at work and just hope that I didn't have like a blowout or anything. Because I lived, you know, I, I'm sorry, I lived pretty about, uh, about 20 miles from where I worked at the time. So it was a pretty good drive there and back. But what I would do is it would work because it would diffuse things, but I wasn't doing the deep work. It was just like a stopgap measure. And what I would do at work too is I would scrounge around. I would literally go through the doctor's drawers to find quarters or the nurse's drawers or ask if people had quarters just to get a buck or two so I could stop at Taco Bell and get bean burritos. This is how bad it was because I wasn't doing the deep work. So if you want to avoid binge eating, and and there's other podcasts that I'd recommend, probably Half Size Me is a great podcast because uh, she interviews people who've lost a lot of weight. And I think they deal more with the emotional eating aspect than I do. So I would definitely recommend you listen to that one. But you got to do the work. You got to realize you gotta, you, cognitive behavioral therapy is really good because it helps with connecting what you're feeling with rethinking, rewiring the thinking in your head. And so with me, it's why am I doing this? What's the real reason I want to go eat two bags of M&M peanuts or peanut butter? Why am I doing this? Let's go do something else. So part of it is resist the temptation. So don't have things in the house that might trigger. Try to minimize your triggering. Don't don't have as many junk food. But when you feel the need, because most of us have a car, when you feel the need, like I just want to go drive down to the supermarket and buy a cookie cake. Why am I doing this? And find something else to do. If it means chewing gum, if it means taking a walk, if it means playing video games, if it means something else, do it. And then the next day, you'll feel better. Like, wow, I overcame that urge and that temptation. And then it's like alcoholism. It's like, you know, your your sobriety. Oh, I have two days sober, three days sober. And you build up momentum and you feel better. And you'll be feeling better because you're not eating the binge food that's toxic, but you'll also feel more confident. But there'll eventually be a time where you might go back to Dairy Queen or whatever and eat. But that's the thing. It's like, don't feel bad about it. Because feeling bad about it is going to trigger the self-loathing and the self-shame, and then you're going to be more likely to go on that fix. 
Also, on a more practical level, I recommend that you just try to wean off sugar because sugar in itself is addictive, and so are so is bread. You know, they they release the endorphins and all the feel good, uh, the dopamine, all the feel good hormones to to make you feel good, and so you kind of get hooked on it. So if you can quit sugar, especially added sugars, I would do that. But I'm talking more about just about the emotional stuff. So you got to do the deep work. So so rewire the thinking of why you're doing it. But the other thing is go to counseling because most of us who are binge eaters had trauma in our childhood. Something happened to us. Either you had a distant mother, overbearing father, you were beat, you were sexually molested. Something bad happened to you that needs to be addressed. And like I mentioned to the students, you're going to have some sort of mental health disorder or some impulse control disorder unless you tackle what happened to you as a child in those formative years. If you tackle it with therapy, with the proper therapy, too, I go to cognitive behavioral therapists. I wouldn't go to psychoanalysts, the Freudian school, because they'll keep you in therapy for 40 years. A good CBT therapist will maybe only give you counseling for two, three months, four months, and then you're out. That's a good therapist, right? The ones that don't have this this indefinite uh, therapy you're going to be doing for years. But you got to do the therapy and figure out what is the root cause. What is the root cause? And if you can address the root cause and do that deep work and work through the, the hatred or, or the pain that you have, plus do the CBT, do the, why am I about to binge? Why am I doing this? That will help you not binge eat. Do I not binge eat ever any, uh, right now? No, I can't say that. There's times where I'll go out and probably eat a bag of M&Ms or get two McDoubles or something, but it's very few and far between. It's not nearly like the way it was back then. And I think part of it is just that I'm 43 and I've dealt with this for 30 years. Unfortunately, I probably have fatty liver disease or I'm going to get cancer because of all the toxic crap I ate. But either way, I think it helps that I'm older and I've gone through this this uh, this kind of this cycle, this circle, this cycle of 25 years of keeping the weight off. For a lot of people who've just lost this weight, they don't have that wisdom yet because they're young or they just lost this weight. But those are two things you need to do. And as I mentioned in Why Did I Become Fat, way back in episode one, I sat down with my father and I told him because there, there was a time and I blamed him for being overweight and I blamed him for all my issues. And I sat down with him and I told him, I go, I don't blame you anymore. You did the best that you could and I love you. And I think there was, he cried and there was a lot of healing. And then from there we moved on. I think that, that really helped with my future eating. The last thing I want to mention is Guys, it's never too late to try, okay? No matter how old you are, you could be 40, 50. If you're overweight still, it's never too late to try. You can do it. You can do it. There's so many more resources nowadays than when I was doing it back in the 90s, early 90s. Uh, you can do it. People are doing it. You hear all these success stories of people who lose a lot of weight and keep it off. The only thing I would say is, Keeping it off is harder than losing it, but you can do both. And there are a lot of resources out there to help you do both. But definitely do the deep work because doing the deep work of figuring out the causes of why you want to eat will help you not only lose weight, but keep it off. But I am here for you. If you ever want to reach out and just have somebody to talk to, you can always contact me. And luckily, there's a lot of other resources. People have gone through the same thing that can help you. And I'm not talking about you just hiring me as your health coach, but just Contact me if you need any help because it is possible. Do not give up hope. It is possible. If you listen to my my Dark Night of the Soul episode, there's times where you might be suicidal or you might be cutting or you might be doing self-destructive stuff, but there is sunlight at the end of that tunnel that you can 
do it. Do not give up hope. All right, guys. So until next time, take care and just take care of yourself and God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.